0: Welcome to a year of intense engagement with the Word of God. And uh, one of the things we're going to be doing this year is what Kristen has done for us this morning is we're going to we're going to focus every service. We're going to have times of just public reading of Scripture, where we just listen to Scripture being read. I know that we that's something that we do anyhow, and I'm going to share lots of Scripture with you today as well. But there's something about just giving uh, Scripture our attention, which is really you know. It's a way of giving God our attention. And uh, so you're going to see different people come up, like Kristen did this morning throughout the year, and read Scripture. And I, I tried this morning, as, as she was reading Scripture, I tried just to close my eyes and hear God's Word uh, for myself today. Today I have the privilege of kicking off our story series. And uh, how many of you... Now, I know a lot of you are still going to get the books today. There's a there's a story... There's a book... Uh, I've taken my cover off it so I could mark mine so that I don't get it mixed up with everyone else's. But uh, you can get one of these at the, at the table out in the front. It's a free book, one per family. How many of you already got your book? Wonderful. How many of you, uh, I, you don't have to have done it by now because the idea is to read it before you meet with somebody else or to read it sometime in, in this next little period. How many of you managed to read the first uh, little chapter or a little section? Wow, wow. Well, then you know uh, what I'm... Attempting to do this morning is a big challenge because there's so much in that first section. There's so much in that first section. But let's just uh, first deal with uh, what uh, the, the words that have been read to us this morning by Kristen. So the first four words of Genesis chapter 1, the first four words of Genesis chapter 1 introduce the main character of the story. And that main character, thanks Graham, that main character is God. In the beginning, God. What's the story with the Bible about? It's the story of God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you hear both Genesis 1 and John 1 together, like we did uh, just moments ago, you'll see that the Trinity is involved in creation. Right? You see, God created the heavens and the earth. Then you see that in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, this sounds like confusing language, but if you read more into John 1, it, it tells you who the Word is. The Word is God made flesh. The one who God made flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus, right? So you see God the Father, you see the Trinity, and then you see the Spirit of God hovering over the, over the surface of the waters. It's like you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all engaged in this creative act of bringing things into existence, um, so creating the heavens and the earth, and bringing light into darkness are huge themes in both of these passages of scripture. So Genesis one, Genesis one tells the story of God creating the heavens and the earth, and uh, I I was reading it again, and you know, here's what stood out to me: It's like God creates three canvases. And then he creates the details on the canvases, right? So if you, if you remember from reading, you remember that uh, the first day, God creates, or he separates light and dark, or, or makes light a thing. Or I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. I've got lots of questions. By the way, how many of you read this, these, these chapters and you ended up with about 80 questions? 80 questions. I use the word 80, the phrase 80 questions, because I talked to someone last week who was in a long-term Bible reading plan and they said, I've got about 80 questions. And I said, Join the club. That's about normal. That's about normal. When you read the Bible, there's lots of things you have questions. You know what? The neat thing is over time you come to see that a lot of those questions are answerable by the more you get more knowledgeable of the Bible. The more you, you see the internal consistency of the Bible. That's the surprising thing. When you first read it, you might go, hey, I don't know if that agrees with that. But as you begin to read it more and more, you begin to see how, um, how there's an incredible thread woven through the whole book. And that it's not just a library. It is a library of books. 66 different books. But it really tells one cohesive story. It, there's one Upper story, as we're saying through this series, there's one upper story about God's redemption plan for humanity. So, oh, the 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 canvases. I was going to tell you about Genesis one. Yeah, I got distracted. Light and dark is one of the canvases, and then you've got um, God creating, doing stuff with water. So there's the sky and the ocean. And then you've got the last one, you've got land. So it's like God is this artist and he set up these three places. And then he starts to fill in the details. What does he do with the light and the dark? He fills in the details, sun, moon, stars, right? And then what does he do with this canvas? Well, this canvas is is, uh, the, the sky and the sea. Well, what does he do? Well, he puts birds in the sky and then the sea teams with living creatures is what it says. And that's awesome. So fish and everything. And then the land, what does he do with land? Well, land he puts animals and then comes the crescendo, the crescendo. Everything he's done up to this point, he says, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And now he's on day six, and he's just created the animals. And after creating the animals, he comes to his, his, the, the creation he is most passionate about. And this is how it, what it says, Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us, I love that, it says let us. It's like, again, a little bit of a hint of the Trinity there. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so we get right away, we get some really cool things. One is we get how humans relate to the rest of God's creatures. God has given us a responsibility. Now, whenever you delegate well, you give people responsibility and authority together, not just Responsibility. You also give them the, the means and, the, and the, the right to carry it out. But God gives human beings responsibility and authority over all the created beings. So uh, animals, fish, and birds, God has, has given us that responsibility. It's delegated to us to, to care for creation, which is really cool. So that's right there in the very beginning. And then a little bit later, another key piece is, is uh, the blueprint for marriage. So the, first, it's, it's our role in the world of creation care, and then it's the blueprint for marriage. Genesis 2, 21 to 25, says it this way. The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. The Lord God made a, a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they both become one flesh and adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame so you got this blueprint for marriage one man one woman leave their father and mother to be united as one in an intimate shame-free relationship So this is pretty cool. So you get a couple things in here. It's like there's so many important things in this uh, passage of scripture that we read this last week, or that you're about to read if you haven't got the book yet, or you just say I don't have to read it because my group doesn't meet till later this week. So I'm going to read it later this week. There's so much in here. It's sort of like if you go to a movie. Ever been to a movie with a friend and and uh, you're late? you're late. Has anyone ever had that? You're late. You're running late. And you're, you, you get in there, nobody's ever experienced this. It's just only me. Anyhow, you get in there, and you're trying to furiously buy those tickets on the machine and whatever. And then it's like, you've got to divide and conquer, right? Because you got your tickets, but you realize you don't have your popcorn. So it's like you say to the, your friend, you say, you go get us some good seats. I'll get the popcorn. And you're standing in the line waiting for the popcorn and you're like, am I missing it? Am I missing it? Am I missing it? Finally you get the popcorn, you run in there, and then you ask your friend, what did I miss? And your friend, if the movie started slow, your friend probably says, nah, you didn't miss much. It's just sort of getting going. Or if it was like one of those movies where they have an amazing action scene at the beginning, they'll say, seriously, you should have skipped the popcorn because you missed the most amazing action-packed like, significant scene in the movie. And this is a little bit like the beginning of the Bible. Like, if you, if you read this week you realize so much ground was covered in those first number of chapters in Genesis. So much ground. In fact, it's too much for me to cover in a sermon, but it's incredible how much happened in this reading. Creation happened. Adam and Eve in the garden with God. Temptation. Original sin. Consequences of that original sin. Cain kills Abel. Increasing wickedness. Noah's Ark. Worldwide flood. And a rainbow. It's like, whoa. Whoa. And everything in there is so significant. There's so much significance attached to this. You could preach a thousand sermons on just this alone. I'm not going to do that. I have only get one. So I want to jump into Genesis chapter 3. I think that's, for me, I had to zero in somewhere, and that's where I thought I should spend the most of my time. Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden of course this is a he's suggesting a lie right and the woman catches the lie and she responds and she says the woman says to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden all of them right but god did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die and he says you will not certainly die Or you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in essence, he's saying, don't believe God. Don't trust God. He's not really that good. In fact, God is holding out on you. He's holding out on you this secret knowledge That if you had this secret knowledge, oh, your life would be so much better. Wouldn't you like to know not just good? Wouldn't you like to know evil too? Wouldn't you like to be like God? Man, if you had the knowledge of evil, well, God must know everything. And he must also know about evil. Wouldn't you like to be like God? So this is my question today. What is the great sin that the serpent is selling? What is the great sin? I think there's two aspects to it. I think the minor one is curiosity about evil. I think that's the lesser. I'll get to the greater one yet. But I think a curiosity about evil is what the serpent is selling, and that's part of it. And um, this is opposite to the, you know, if you read the teachings in the Bible about what, what our level of curiosity should be about evil, you actually find it, it's not encouraged. Romans 16, 19 says, be wise or be excellent about what is good. So when it comes to things that are good, go all in and, be, and know as much as you can about what is good, what is lovely, what's a good report, what's, what's, what's awesome, right? You know, make your thoughts and your imaginations go that direction. Dream big about what's good. Imagine lots about how good good can be. Imagine, get in, you know, be excellent in that area, but innocent about what is evil. That's the second part of the verse. Be excellent about what is good, be wise about what is good, but be innocent about what is evil. And this suggests to us that our curiosity about evil does not always pay us any favors, or it really doesn't. I remember when I was in high school, one of my best friends was really into horror movies. And I watched a couple with him. And boy, did I pay for that in my imagination. I, I have a pretty decent imagination. I bet you do too. And I would take the what I saw in the movie, but I'd take it to a whole nother level. In my dreams, in my, you know, if I'd walk a dark alley, I'd, it, would, it would blow up on me. It wasn't great that I had been exposed to new thoughts about evil, new things that could that people could do. I had a similar experience with watching CSI, and I can't believe I'm admitting this. Well, first, because that shows how old I am. When I first started watching CSI, I thought it was the coolest show ever, because what they did with the cinematography, what they did with the scenery, and some of you, you're just old enough to remember what I'm talking about. Anyhow, but it was. I thought it was just an amazing show, but then, as I went into it, I was exposed to People doing evil things that I never contemplated before in my life, and that would bother me. That now I have this scene in my mind that I can't shake, or this, this uh, that I'm reflecting on something evil. Now I'm not talking about being naive about evil. I'm not talking about being so naive that you know people can trick you or fool you or or abuse you or or anything like that, or that you're not safe on the streets or that you know you fall for an internet scam. Or I'm not talking about being naive about evil. But there's a, there's, a, there's a fascination. There's a fascination with evil that I don't think we should feed. I don't think we should be uh, Googling to find out how sick humanity can be. I don't think we should be going after that. I don't think we should uh, try to find out what, about all sorts of occult practices and, and how they work. I think instead we should follow the advice that's found in Scripture to be wise about what is good. Be an expert If you're gonna major in something, major in what's good. Let that be what you think about, what you dream about, what you use your creative brain power for. But when it comes to evil, be as innocent as you can in this world. Be as innocent as you can. I love, I've only had it happen a few times, but I love that I'm on the outside of some jokes. I love that I'm on the outside of some jokes. Some guys will sell some sort of joke and I'll be like, usually it's because it's a dirty joke. That's usually, that's the ones. And I go, yeah, I don't get it. It's not because I don't read books. It's not like I don't have friends. I don't like interacting in the world. But you know what? I haven't, ch- I haven't chased that thought process all the way to its logical end because I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that and I don't want to focus on that. So curiosity about evil, I think it's part of what the serpent was selling, but there's a second part and I think it's the bigger one. And to know really the full depth of this second part, I think you have to understand who the serpent is, right? You know, of course, people say, well, it's the devil, it's Satan. But what do we know about this character? What do we know? You have to piece together a few passages of Scripture. I want to share with you Ezekiel and Isaiah's little angles on this character in Scripture. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 13 says this, You were in Eden, the garden of God. And every precious stone adorned you. And then it lists a whole bunch of precious stones. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from amongst the fiery stones. Your heart, now here's, this is really helpful. Your, what happened? Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Whew. Your heart became proud on account of Of your beauty. Now I'm going to just, you know, it's sort of like um, what do you do when God blesses you? And how do you process God's blessing in your life? Like Adam and Eve are blessed in this incredible garden. Right here they live, sort of in this uh, at the forks of the Tigris and the Euphrates River, and uh, it's this lush garden. And you know, I could just imagine what it's like every day. You know, just so so great. It's like, hey, you and me, babe. Just again, you want to go down to the forks, see the river, see the animals, see the little animals, the cute ones. You know, on the way we'll go by the tree of life. We'll get some of that fruit that you know. Three hours after eating something from the tree of life, I bet you feel better than three hours after eating McDonald's. Like, I mean, I think there's something significant about the life. That they were living. I think it's they're blessed in every way. But what happens to your thinking when God is so good to you? Now, I what should happen, you say, well, the logical thing is you should be grateful, you should be thankful, you should give glory to God. That's normal. That's normal. But the temptation there is a temptation when you've been blessed to actually come to believe you deserve it and to get twisted in your view of God. Now, I like to say it's like being cats or dogs. Like, what does a dog think? If you, the dog thinks, uh, you love me, you feed me, you must be God. But a cat thinks, you love me, you feed me, I must be God. <laughs> How do you process the goodness of God in your life? Even if it's just the common grace. of he, he, he causes the rain to fall on the evil and the good. It's not about deserving it. He's more good to us than we deserve. But how do you process it? Well, the serpent wants Eve and Adam by proxy to process it wrongly. Well, he processed it wrongly first. When God gave him this position, when God made him beautiful and created him in all this splendor and this glory, he his heart got proud. Your heart got proud on account of your beauty. I'll give you one more. Isaiah gets us even closer to the heart of it. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, it talks again about the same character. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart. Okay, you want to hear what Satan said in his heart? Here it is. Whoa. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So here's the crux of the matter. Do you want to obey God? Do you want to be in a loving relationship with God? Or do you just want to be God? This is the the temptation that the serpent is selling and bringing to Eve. Don't you want to be like God? I mean... Do you want to submit to God? Do you want to obey God? Do you want to follow God? Do you want to play the role that God has given you here in creation to play? Or do you want more? Do you want to be God? You know, anyone tells you you can be like God without God is lying to you. They're lying to you. The only way we are like God as well. First, we're like God in our creation, right? We're made in the image of God. That's an incredible thing. We're made in the image of God. So God's fingerprints are all over you in how he created you. And you are like him in some ways, some remarkable ways. You're made in his image. That's not true about the cow you see on the side of the road. It's not true about the mouse. It's not true about all sorts of different fish or birds. It's true about The pinnacle of his creation, which he said was not just good, it was very good, and that's humanity. So we're already made in the image of God, but God's put us in a place, a good place, in his story. But sometimes we say, I want to say, I don't want to play my part in your story, God. I want to make the story all about me. And so we're tempted to start a new story where God, without God, where we get all the glory. And the Bible has got lots of examples of this. I'll give you a couple. In the New Testament, the story of Herod. Herod, one of the Herods. There were several Herods. None of them really were great guys, but they were all different kings in Israel. And it says, on this is just one day he'd given a speech. People liked it. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, "This is the voice of a god, not of a man." And they were buttering him up because they wanted something from him. That's the truth about it. But they praised him. They, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. What do you do when you get praise like that? It said, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. What did he do? He took the praise for himself, stood there, glorying in it. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Whoa. Now, I want you to contrast this story with another story. It's the story about Paul and Silas. They, too, had a chance to be worshipped like gods. And let's see what they do. Acts 14, 8-17 to says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. What are they going to do? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this they tore their clothes and they rushed into the crowd shouting friends why are you doing this we too are only human like you we are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God whom the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past This God, let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, and he fills your hearts with joy. So here's Herod having the praise, having the glory that he wanted, and God takes his life. And here's Paul and Silas when they get a hint that people want to elevate them in this way, that they tear their clothes and they just set it, they, they try to stop everybody. Into, no, don't do this. We're just men. You should be worshiping God. So do we want to honor God or do we want to be God? Or the other option is, or do we want to make God to be like us? See, this is the twisting of creation. This is the twisting of the serpent. God makes us in his image, but then... There's a temptation for us to try to remake God in our minds. You can't literally do it. But in our minds, in our own image. And Romans 1 talks about this. It's, this is a pretty telling parrot. Let me just read it to you. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, that's what we're talking about this week, God's invisible qualities, his internal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. How do you see the invisible qualities of God? They're invisible. Well, you see them through what he has made. You see them through creation. For all though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor give thanks to him. Remember, I talked about the cat and the dog, right? They didn't glorify God, they didn't thank him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they, and this is a key word, they exchanged, they made a big trade off. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So here we go. Remember, God delegates to man to care for creation. Manage creation. Manage the animals. Manage the birds. Manage the the, um, reptiles, etc. I put you over them. Now here's what they do. They get it all mixed up. They, They reject God and now they look at creation and they make idols out of creation. So they worship fish and they worship animals and they worship birds. And they worship images that look just like them, images of humans. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. This is another phrase that shows up three times. Exchange shows up three times, and God gave them over shows up three times in this passage. They, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged, here's another one, the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And then, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. It says, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Let me go further. Verse 28 says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Boy, this is crazy. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. What a list. They invent ways of doing evil. I'm going to stop there. I can hardly read all this because I get depressed with this. I feel like I felt like when I watched the third Star Wars You know which one I'm talking about? Not Return of the Jedi, which was the original third. But later on, they added some prequels, which made a different one, The Revenge of the Sith, the third. When I watched it, I was all excited. I shouldn't have been. I knew what was happening. I knew what was going to happen. But it was that moment of, I, I love redemption movies. I love redemption movies. You know, the movie, there's the, the hero, and then there's some trouble or something they have to overcome, and they've got character flaws, but in the end, something great happens. Maybe their character is reformed. Maybe they're reunited with family. Maybe they win a big boxing match like Rocky or whatever, but there's something at the end where it's just like, oh, it's good. They saved Private Ryan. Yes. They all died. Oh, okay, but you know, it's just, oh, sorry if you haven't seen it. It's a little late. It's a... Yeah, a little late for a spoiler. (laughs) Anyhow, but I love redemption movies. You know what movies I hate? Corruption movies. Star Wars 3 is a corruption movie. It's watching. Oh, look, at cute little Anakin Skywalker. And then he turns to the dark side. And you're like, I walked out of the theater, and I was like, you know what it reminded me of? This. I walked over there, and I felt sick inside. And I was like, you know what? Just like in Genesis, where Adam and Eve had it all and threw it away. They had intimacy with God. God made it absolutely clear that they were His. Mo, the part of creation they were mo, he was most passionate about, he wanted to have relationship with them. He wanted to spend time with them in this garden he created just for them. And he gave them each other, what an incredible thing. Oh, I walked out of Star Wars 3 and I was just like bummed out. You know what hit me? Oh, right, there's Star Wars 4. IV. And I've already seen it. And I know how the story ends because Star Wars IV is called A New Hope. You know, when you read this these passages you read, if you read them in these last few weeks, you might have got bummed out because they're really depressing about how evil uh, how evil things turn out. Yeah, you know, I stopped on this one phrase in Romans one because it caught my attention. They invent ways of doing evil. How much that must have hurt the heart of God. So we're creating God's image, and God is creative God. One of the ways I think we are image bearers of God is we're creative. I mean, look around you. It's amazing. What, what, whether it's woodworking or, or building an iPhone or, or whatever. Humans are creative. It's amazing what God has put in us to do and what we can do. And you, you think about the heart of God to give Adam and Eve his creativity. like So he's creative. He makes them in his image. They're creative. And then what a tragedy that they use that creativity to invent ways to do evil. I was in a museum once. Um, where was it? I want to say, I think it was Toronto actually. And I was in a museum and what they had was um, a setup of what the um, gas chambers at Auschwitz were like. And the, most of the display was about the technology behind it. There was some actually brilliant technology around how they built these chambers. But you didn't go through that display thinking, wow, man is so creative. You went through that going, man, when sin gets a hold of people, the depravity that we can go to is shocking. It's shocking. I went through that and saw, wow, this is mankind inventing new ways to be evil. You know, it reminds me of what happens after the fall. It talks about how the wickedness spread in Genesis 6 5 it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time wow every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time so we go back to Eve reaching for the well, the fruit, it wasn't an apple, but whatever it was, the fruit, and thinking, wouldn't it be great to be like God when she already was like God? Wouldn't it be great to, to know about evil? Like the, the rest of the story after that, of course, she takes the fruit, she gives some to Adam, and immediately things are transformed in their relationship, but not for the better, It says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember, that was the temptation. You'll be wise about evil. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What was it like to have your first evil thought when you know nothing but good? I mean, most of us, well, none of us can, can tell that, right? Because from the get-go, we were crying for the whole world to be about us. <laughs> Even if we're cute and adorable, right? I have a two-year-old in my house who is so adorable. I'm going to spoil her rotten. I already know. There's no way out. But it's just like she is so adorable. Yet, I know. I know. That sinful nature is there. Everyone was born into it after Adam and Eve. It says it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some, she ate it, and then they had their first evil thought, their first knowledge of evil. So what happened? They distrusted each other. Shame came into the relationship. Fear, hiding, lying, thinking dark thoughts about each other's and their motives and about God. Stop. There was a real downgrade in this marriage. You remember Adam, when Eve was presented to him, he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then God comes to him and says, Adam, where are you? What happened? And Adam, did you eat from that tree? And Adam says, that woman you gave me. (laughs) It's like, what happened to bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It was like, God, that woman you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit. Oh, it's like, you had it all. But there's a new hope. But there's a new hope. And we start to see hints of it. And even in the Genesis text where everything's been destroyed, we start to see the hints. The hint that God has a rescue plan. And here's where I think, a couple places where it shows up. One is, is that we see that God sees them as they've you know, fastened, Fashion fig leaves for themselves, and uh, he upgrades their wardrobe. But it's how he does it he gives them animal skins. It's the first sacrifice in the Bible, and it speaks to the fact that what has happened can only be atoned for, can only be made up for by a great sacrifice. And already there's clues and hints and shadows that point us towards the New Testament, that point us toward that there's going to come a one, not an animal that was sacrificed, but there's going to come one who will give themselves as a sacrifice so that this sin can be, can be wiped clean. Of course, it's talking about Jesus. I read, I read to my five-year-old, I read the Jesus Storybook Bible, and every chapter ends pointing to Jesus. But sometimes it just sort of hints towards the one to come or stuff like that. And I always ask Jacob, so who do you think that is? And like by now, six stories in, he's like, Jesus, right? Now we're 20 stories in. He's like, it's Jesus, right? It's always Jesus. I've got him perfectly prepared for children's ministry. It's Jesus is always the answer. But so much of the Old Testament, you don't even see it because often we're, we're, we're in the lower story. we're tied into the individual stories of the Old Testament. Well, this is nice. This book has a bunch of individual stories. No, 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 no. There's an overarching upper story, and it's a story of redemption. Right now, I'm telling the story of corruption, the kind of movie I don't like to watch. But I want to tell you, there's a story of redemption that overarchs the whole thing. And even in the darkest moment of humanity's history, when all has been lost, there's a great new hope that emerges and God begins to show them. And so he says, there's a sacrifice that, gives you clo- that clothes you, that covers you, and covers your shame. And this is temporary. This really isn't the final solution, but it's hinting towards there is one who comes, and he will deal with your shame, and he will deal with the blame and the sin and all the corruption. And then the second thing is what he says to Eve. Or no, what he says um, to the serpent. He says, "In the future, you will, uh, you will bruise his heel." He's talking about the descendants of the snake and the descendants of the woman. He says, there's always going to be enmity between you. I mean, there might be the occasional woman who likes snakes. But I think most of them, it's true, right, throughout history. Mostly women and snakes, not the greatest combination. But there's a few who are okay with that. That's fine. But he says, at the time will come where a descendant of Eve will crush the head of the snake. And he's not just talking about one snake. He's talking about the whole lie. That whole, I will, I will, I will, I will ascend. I will sit on the throne. I will be like God. It will be crushed by one who will come. And how will he crush it? How will he crush it? He will do the opposite thing to Satan. He'll do the exact opposite. Now think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. First, I'll tell you about his disciples. What did the disciples tell each other after Jesus was gone? They said, you know what? We've come to realize... That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Peter wrote that in his letters. James, who was, and Peter and James were really close to Jesus. They both wrote that in their letters. They said, you know what? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've come to realize this. How did they come to realize it? Through Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate example through his teaching and through his ministry. Let me give you two examples. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. You know how it goes, Right? hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when he, ta- when he said, the disciples said, teach us to pray, we'd love to have a relationship with God like you have a relationship with God. That would be awesome. I mean, nobody's had a relationship like this since maybe Adam and Eve before they sinned. We'd love to have that kind of relationship. Is that possible for us, Jesus? He says, sure, I'll teach you to pray. Here's something you need to pray to be in a right relationship with God. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So in the upper story, God is glorified, God is thanked, God is praised. They haven't exchanged that glory. They're reveling in it. They're enjoying him forever. And they're saying, we want to bring that to here, to earth. We want, to, we want your will to be done. I, I think it's C.S. Lewis. I'm not totally sure if it's a quote of his, but he says it this way. He says, you really have a simple choice. You either say to God, your will be done, or God will say to you, your will be done. And that's really what Romans 1 talks about that we're given over, that God gives us over. You say, well, I, I, God, I don't, I don't want what you want. I want what I want. And God knows the reality of that choice, but God gives us free will to make that choice. Here's, that's, I think is why it's such, God is so passionate about human beings, because they're the part of creation he gave free will to reject him or love him. We can choose to love God. We're not driven just by instinct, like an animal. We can rationalize, and we can choose to love. But it's enormous power that God gives us when he gives us free will because we can choose to reject God. And so we say, I don't want your will. He says, well, then you'll have yours. But he talks about how our minds become darkened. We enter into a futility in our lives. And we start going down that path towards a curiosity about evil. And in, as he said in Romans 1, they even invent ways to do evil. So Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done. And then Jesus doesn't just teach it. He doesn't just talk it, but he walks it. So when Jesus is facing the cross and he's in the garden and he's sweating great drops of blood in anguish, he prays this prayer. Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. How does Jesus turn the tables on the deception of the enemy? Where he's tempted us to disobey, he's tempted us to live without God, he's tempted us to try to be God or to even make God in our own image, He sends Jesus, who, it's the opposite story. Jesus had everything, empties himself and becomes human and lives among us and experiences all the trials and temptations of living as a human on earth with other humans. And in that situation, he humbles himself, even to the point of death. That's how far he went in his obedience to the Father. So where one man, Adam, through one man, sin comes into the world, through Adam and Eve, through that deception, life and light come back into the world through Jesus. And that's what we read at the beginning in John chapter one. Through him, through the word made flesh, through God enacting his rescue plan, he brings us back. He makes it possible for us to come back into relationship with him.